This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. Hello and welcome to episode 121 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. I'm Trev90X. And on this podcast, wow, that was <laughs> new. And on this podcast, we interview writers, directors, actors, agents, managers, casting directors, and everyone else from the entertainment industry, including uh, the X-Man himself, because <laughs> yeah. Trevor decided to just bring it back. He's like, oh, I missed Tony two episodes away, and yeah. I'm, already, yeah. I'm already missing Tony, Trev90X. Uh, and uh, we packaged him up in this uh, podcast here and put it on the internets for you at home. <laughs> it's true. And this podcast is just a forum, really, for us to have with uh, people who've been there and done that and, and also with the community. So we started this thing because we're looking for the answers and we kind of wanted to find the common threads between what works and what doesn't and how people got to where they got to intentionally and where it was an accident and so on and so forth. So that's all it is. Um, and if you guys hear something here on the show that you think uh, that's wrong, or you hear it and you're like, that is spot on, we'd love to hear your uh, your voice on the show either way. So feel free to shoot us an email, tweet us, leave us a voicemail, lots of different ways to get in touch with the show. And you can start by going to our website, insideactingpodcast.com. I, I love the idea of us of, of our listeners having accidents on the show. <laughs> Weird. You're like on purpose, on accident, <laughs> um, and you're going to have to help me out with the names here, but on this episode, we've got the second part of Trevor's interview with uh, Michael Lang and Monica Hafer. Yes. Two, yeah, two writers, uh, one of them's an author, one's a stage director, um, lots of interestingness about the creative process and, and on creating effective short form content coming your way. So You just created a, a new word. One of our favorite things to do on the podcast. What was it? Unless it dreams interestingness. Interestingness. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yes. Awesome. So yeah. stick around for interestingness. So hello, everybody. Hey, AJ. I always want to say hello out there in TV land, but we're not on TV. Hello out there in internet land. There's no Does one anybody on the actually listen to this We've podcast? literally chased everyone out of the internet. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, I don't want to hang out here. Those two <laughs> uncool guys are here. Those guys over there. Speaking the of, we, the we, we, do, we did get uh, at least one kind of impassioned response to uh, to a recent episode on this show. So that'll be fun to talk about. So oh, we do yeah. know that some people are listening. <laughs> yes. There's one. Yeah. There's it's it's one interesting because we, we can look at the numbers of the show and we can see, you know... Who's downloading the episodes? Who's subscribed to the feed? Where in the world they are? But we can't tell once they download it what they do with it. When, how many times they listen to it? If they even listen to it? If they're sharing it with friends? We have no idea. All we can see is kind of the trend, and we can see that the, the podcast is growing. Um, that people all over the world are listening, and that it's a healthy listenership. It's it's definitely well 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 into four figures. 
but uh, it's hard to tell like how much engagement we get because you know with our Twitter followers and our Facebook group fans and like the interactivity kind of ebbs and flows and uh, and it's so it's hard to be like okay so you're subscribed but are you listening you know <laughs> I, but we did get we do get emails from time to time this actually this week was full of a lot of long emails yes but most of them were were warm fuzzies which is always nice um but there's one that we get to respond to uh what's new in your world man uh i what is i i I had one meeting this week what was Uh, it what was it for it was for that um i think it's a nick at night show the x's with donald Faison, guy from uh clueless and scrubs Uh um it was a it was a co-star role but uh, that show was cast by the same people that cast Heather's, who I've I've talked about as being just really nice to the whole cast of Heather's. They keep calling us in for everything that they they cast, and you know it's just such a great example of a, a an established relationship, you know, and how like if we could just if we as actors could figure out how to create that kind of relationship with like five to seven casting directors in town, we would end up, I mean, I don't want to say booking work all the time, but at least getting a lot of opportunities all the time because, you know, they, they cast multiple shows. It's not just like live and Maddie or, um, crash and Bernstein, which I also went on. They also cast the X's and, um, I think they even help out on lab rats, which is on Disney XD. And, um, so they cast all these different shows, um, but it's the same casting director. And I, you know, I have this, you know, relationship with one of their daughters was on the running crew for, for Heather's and she's about to go, she wants to go to UCLA. So we, it was kind of cool. Like I kind of took her under my wing backstage and we, we established like a really cool, like buddy, you know, relationship. And I was walking out of the audition and her mom, the casting director was like, somebody misses you. And I was like, Oh, I miss her too. Like (laughs) she's, she was just, you know, so nice and so much fun. And she really enjoyed that experience. It was like one of the first experiences she had had like that. She wants to go to school for directing and stuff. And it's just really nice to have that deep of a relationship with someone who can give uh, provide opportunities mm-hmm. like that to yeah. myself as an actor. And like I said, I wish I was friends with like everybody's kids, like, you know, <laughs> and, and their dogs and their grandmothers and everything. Like I wish, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just me. I'm, I'm very like familial. Like I, I'm, I'm Italian and I have a big family on both sides and of my, of my, you know, both my mom and dad's side. So I'm, I'm very, <clears throat> like family oriented and I always wish for that in this industry. And so to have, um, an opportunity to create that and then let that foster, uh, like sort of, go, you know, go back into the work. It's like a, it's like a, it's cyclical, you know, it's like my, the work that I booked created these relationships and now these relationships are creating, you know, hopefully more work right now, just opportunities for work, but hopefully more work in the future. Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. The the family (laughs) thing kind of hits a, hits a note for me. Um, I, I mean, every, every kind of, this is going to sound weird, but (laughs) it's the only way I can think to put it. Every kind of circle that I've in some way penetrated social circle that I've some kind of like worked my way into Mm -hmm. in, in LA has been its own little family. 
And the first con, the first introduction I had to the idea of like little pockets of like, you know, families in the entertainment industry, not actual blood related families, but people that feel so close and work so closely together that they feel like families, um, was when I first came out to LA, I interviewed, or I, I, God, I don't even know what the hookup was anymore, but, uh, this guy, Kerr Smith, who's an actor, he was on Dawson's Creek for a while and he's been in a couple other things. And anyway, he was some sort of connection. And so I, I, my dad and I came out here and we had coffee with, with Kerr and Kerr said, Oh, why don't I introduce you to my, my manager? And we went to his manager's office. He's the same manager for Halle Berry. And we sat down with him and, and they were all like, yeah, you know, like we should invite you to this barbecue or whatever. It's, it's like one big family here. And I was, you know, brand new to LA. I had no idea how anything worked. And I was just like, wow, people are like really friendly here. I, I just thought it was like actor, hire, director, direct, you know, like I didn't understand that there was like an emotional component to the business side of things. Mm-hmm. And the more, the more I'm out here, the more I think that like you having the inclination to create a family atmosphere is totally what, um, it's in line, I think with success, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, like, you know, let's quote Brian Vermeer again. It's a relationship business, mm-hmm. relationship business. So it's all about your relationships. And again, you know, people hiring their friends. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I guess that's, that's the question is like, cause we, we always talk about this point on the podcast about it being a relationship business and people hiring people that they know. But then the question comes up, how do you make that happen? And then I think that's where the debate with like casting director workshops and stuff, I think that's one, I think that adds fuel to that fire. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, there's there, there's like a debate about what works and what doesn't work in terms of building relationships and people know how important it is. And so I think that adds fuel to the fire that makes those things so contentious. Hmm. I'm just sort of, I, it's, I know it seems obvious. I don't know. It, maybe it's not, but to me, it seems like an obvious point that's just now sort of landing or dawning on me in this particular way. Huh? Huh? So it's not, it's not, it's not like my noodles baking. It's just like a, I don't know. I feel like I should meditate right now. Like, um, <laughs> like, to like, let it all soak in. Soak in. Yeah. Yeah. What's uh what's been going on in in your world, my friend? While I sit over here and <laughs> and steam stew stew. Uh, what I feel like I've been rereading that book, Life's Operating Manual, and really getting in touch with uh that experience. It, it's hard to explain. I don't want to get too mystic here, but I, I had a moment. I had like kind of a, a couple days earlier in the week or last week rather, where I was kind of in a funk, you know, my, that, that funky side of my personality just took over and I was just kind of looking around and I was like, just unhappy with the world and the state of the planet and, and myself and, you know, just lots of things. And I just, I was in that place. And I think as artists, sometimes we secretly revel in those places for a little bit because there's, there's texture to be found there, but I was in that place and I, I kind of, was stewing some of the, I was stewing too. I was stewing some of the, um, stuff I've been reading in, in this book, life's operating manual, which I finished a while ago and I've been rereading it now because there's just so much good stuff in it. And, uh, I just was looking around. I was like, Oh my God, everything in this world 
is an illusion. And what I mean by illusion is that it is this way, like the so-called rules and whatnot are just rules that people made up. And I, I remember sitting at, I was actually at the bus stop because I finally got my car situation handled, but at the time I didn't. And I was sitting at the bus stop and I was looking at the freeways and I was like, all this concrete and all these cars and all this pollution and exhaust. And I was like, it's all because a bunch of people said, yeah, let's do that. It, it sounds not that profound, but for me, it was at the time. I was just like, wow, like it's all just because somebody thought this is the way it should be. And if we want it to be different, all we have to do is say so mm-hmm. and make it different. And I don't know, it was a little bit of a revelation, but that's not acting related, <laughs> but it was a big part of my, of my week. Um, the cool thing is, um, I don't know if I said it on the show with, when between us, but, uh, I saw a cut of the midnight monster. I went over to, I don't think you did. Um, yeah, I don't think I did. I went over to my friend David's apartment to do a little bit of ADR, just some oomphs and breathing sounds and things like that <laughs> between the time I was getting hit. And, uh, and like, uh, DVD extras footage of that. Now. <laughs> yeah, right. I want to see you standing at a microphone like, that's exactly what it was. And he was like, he was like, this is going to be embarrassing as an actor, but no, it was fine. Um, I remember, I remember, uh, Emily Rose talking about doing the stuff for the ADR for, or the voiceover, I guess for uncharted. Cause there was just a lot of, you know, cause they're always like climbing and running and right. 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 <laughs> so there was a lot of time with her behind the microphone. Just like, <laughs> oh, ooh, ooh. Right. <laughs> I want to uh, get paid trippy. lots of money to do that. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Um, so yeah, so I did that and, and, uh, they were like, do you want to see a, a cut of it? And for the first time in my life, I was like, actually, I kind of don't. Hmm. And I, I didn't want to because I've, I've. I found myself in a place where I was like, I really enjoyed doing the work. And I talked about this on the last episode really briefly, but I was like, I really enjoyed doing the work, but I don't necessarily enjoy watching the work anymore. Like, I don't really want to see myself do that stuff. It's just not that interesting to me. And then I got nervous and I was like, Whoa. Uh, so it was trippy. And I, I, I thought, Oh my God, am I becoming one of those actors that doesn't want to watch their own work? And then I was like, do I, do I have that luxury at this point in my career? I still am cutting my own reels. I still have to like take my headshot and send it out to people. Like, I don't know if I have that luxury. So, and I also didn't want to offend anybody. So I was like, yeah, of course I'll, I'll watch it. So really nervous. I watched the, uh, the, uh, the cut and it's long right now. It's basically just an assembly. It's not like finessed in, in many ways, but there was like, you know, placeholder music and stuff like that. And there were some sound effects and it was really fun. It was really fun. And I, I'm happy to say I wasn't like terrified with my performance. I thought I did an okay job and uh, it's going to be a fun deci- ride for audiences. Did you regret the decision to, to watch it? No, no. Okay. I, I mean, when I saw it, I was glad that I could stop holding my breath huh. because because it wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. You know, it's it's really easy, I think, for us as actors to judge the shit out of ourselves, you know? and and get to that kind of beat up place and i saw this and i was like thank thankfully we have the camera looked great the sound was great you know the editing is great the story is great the other actors are great so it was it was not difficult for me to also look good that's a that's an interesting concept too about sort of rising to the occasion when you have when you're surrounded by other talent yeah yeah <clears throat> i i mean i've i i can't, i've i felt that way countless number of times yeah um 
That's that's awesome. You know, Johnny Depp has never seen any of it. I think we talked about a lot, this a lot of actors. Before, I think like De Niro, I think doesn't watch his stuff. Um, I know Jared Leto doesn't watch any of his own movies. He's he's like making a resurgence right now. But um, a lot of actors don't do that. And I I I was always like, you guys are weird. But now I get it. <laughs> I was kind of like you had the moment. I was like, I really don't want to see this. I have. I mean, not that I'm not interested in the film, but I've. I'm. You know, I was. I did it. Like I, I, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> yeah. I know how it ends. <laughs> um, but there's a there's a 15 second trailer out on Facebook now. So if anybody wants to check that out, I'll go ahead and post it on the Facebook group. It's a really fun little trailer. It's pretty cool. Um, what was I going to say uh, about leveling up or kind of rising to that standard? Yeah. I wanted to say one quick thing before we transition to the emails, but, um, T Harv Ecker says, uh, um, that he can, that basically we all have a financial thermostat. Are you familiar with T Harv Ecker millionaire secrets of the millionaire? Mind? Oh yeah. I mean, I know, yeah. I know that I didn't know that was his cool. name, but yeah. So he talks about having a financial blueprint essentially that we all walk around with. And so we're all essentially happy at a certain level of income. Some of us are 30,000 a year people. Some of us are million billion year people. And he uses the example like Donald Trump. If Donald Trump made a hundred grand a year, do you think he'd feel like a success? Absolutely not. If you or I made a hundred grand a year, we'd be like, holy shit, I'm rolling in it right now. So we all have a different kind of thermostat he talks about. And you know, if we make a little bit more one year, we'll find a way to get back down to our comfort level. If we're not making enough, we'll work overtime to get up to our comfort level. And, um, um, oh, where was this coming from? You had said something about, oh yeah, so leveling up. So I, I find that like, it's just really beneficial to constantly be surrounding yourself with people that are better than you. Um, mm-hmm. and when you get on projects like, like I was on the midnight monster, I was so thankful cause I was like, holy shit, everybody here has worked a ton. They're all bringing their a game and it's like, there's no room to phone it in. It was like with first squad, you know, with all those guys mm-hmm. in that cast, mm-hmm. it was like, there's just no room to phone it in. You work overtime. So you don't embarrass the shit out of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah. It, it should be, fun. you don't have to watch it, but I will. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we got, uh, a few, different emails this week uh, most of which were just uh, people leaving us some warm fuzzies like uh, like Laura thank you so much we really enjoyed your email and, and we have responded so keep an eye on your inbox for that um, but uh, the one in particular that we wanted to respond to uh, came to us from longtime listener and uh, is she a patron of the podcast? she's a patron yeah, yeah. Catherine yeah. Grant Suddy who we've talked about on the podcast before she's been in touch before um, who had a very impassioned response to the interview we had with, with Dennis. Um, and it's kind of interesting because I kind of felt in a way that we might actually get more of this kind of thing to, to the podcast. And, and my concern is that there's actually people out there who feel like Catherine does, but didn't reach out to us, you know, like they, they sort of feel like they're, I don't know, too shy or embarrassed or, mm, or just yeah. don't want, but, and then maybe there's people that don't, but essentially, um, the whole, uh, episode or episodes, um, <clears throat> kind of struck a chord with her specifically around the, uh, uh, politics of, um, you know, the, the food industry and vegetarianism and veganism and all that stuff that we were, that we were discussing. Yeah. We're talking about Dennis's interviews. Yeah. The Den- most recent. Dennis, yeah. Dennis, uh, Henry Henley. And, uh, 
we just wanted to kind of like not only respond to her, but to our listenership and, and just make sure that we, because obviously based on this email, we didn't really set the context well enough, even though I think I heard Trevor say it, you know, a, a few different times uh, on on the episode and in the interview, which is to sh- which is to say that like our purpose was not to be on a soapbox about anything, you know, particularly political, although we're never going to shy away from something like that. It was more about bringing someone on who does activist filmmaking. And that was our focus and our interest. And of course, someone who's that passionate about what they do is going to kind of go on about that more. So, but our point was not to focus on that particular issue. It could have been any issue, it was just interesting to us to have somebody on the podcast who does activist filmmaking. And that was kind of like the point or the reason, yeah, know, the, the yeah. purpose of having him there. Yeah. And I, 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 it was a little difficult not to harp a little bit on the actual subject matter because both you and I are, are kind of personally involved in that or personally aligned with that thinking and on some level. So, so we did go there a little bit. I, I definitely would acknowledge, acknowledge that, you know, we, we, we did harp on that a little bit and, uh, regardless of anyone's beliefs, we hope that our listeners will be able to kind of, um, discern between us, you know, trying to, um, promote a certain political agenda versus just trying to have a conversation about the actual, um, mechanism for, for that. Yes. Um, which was like you said, activist filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. And I'll, I, I, I will join you in acknowledging that, I think I absolutely, you know, said, you know, that I had been, that I had changed my diet, you know, for, um, sort of geopolitical or socio-economical reasons, um, you know, to kind of support in saving the natural resources of the planet. Um, but as Dennis says in the interview and then Catherine echoes in her email, like no one person is going to necessarily shift the tide. It's got to happen at a policy level, but I think it's interesting that she says that. And the whole reason that we had someone on who does activist filmmaking is because this is one of the ways in which you can get people's attention to the point of, you know, having things change. Yeah. You know, and then there's also something meta about this whole thing because the film, um, uh, bold uh, native, bold native. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I remembered the word native, but not bold. I was like <laughs> brave native. No, that's a movie about native Americans. Um, uh, bold native is about, you know, these people who go to extremes and, you know, quote unquote, destroying property and that kind of thing. And then labeled by the government as terrorists mm-hmm. because of it. Um, in order to get the attention of the policymakers. So like I said, there's something very meta about the fact that he's making a film about these people Yeah. in order to, you know, I'm sure part of his purpose was to get the attention of policymakers. Yeah. Well, that's why anybody makes films is to bring certain issues to light. Sure. It's a, it's a great, great way to communicate emotionally with people about an issue that you feel passionate about, whether it's a simple broken heart or it's the environment or, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, and, and Kathleen even says in her email that she's working on her own, uh, film 
activist-ish film uh, about uh, domestic violence. And, you know, it's... I'm sure... I mean, look, there's... I doubt there's anyone out there who's pro-domestic violence. Um, so it's not really a hot-button issue like uh, like the, um, the food industry. We're hoping that she and the rest of our listeners take away something from Dennis that either inspires you or supports you in that form of art yeah activist filmmaking absolutely yeah absolutely thank you for um articulating that in a way that i think i probably wouldn't have been able to (laughs) that's really great i don't know i've been thinking about it a lot lately because i love i'm like i wish we got emails like this all the time like yeah it's it's really good dissenting emails and yeah people who are just so passionate about things that we've talked about that they they can't help but reach out yeah you know, and, and that means she, we're doing a good job yeah, <laughs> right and she did she did um go into specifics as re- with regard to like food choices in the food industry and stuff and she even did say um you know i i don't really think this is a this this discussion which which she brought up in her email is necessarily relevant to the podcast but i think she wanted to respond on on a certain level um about about a lot of this but she did give us a, a whole list of websites to go to and books and things like that to to read to kind of um I don't know, just explore some of the things that, uh, we had kind of touched on a little bit in the interview and, and, uh, you know, where she's coming from as, as the daughter, I think of somebody who was part of the world wildlife fund and the Audubon society and all sorts of mm-hmm. stuff. So she's got a background in it, which is great. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to say that, that became very clear to me while I, when I was, uh, I was vegetarian for two years and vegan for six months. And when I read, uh, the omnivores dilemma, that was the first time in my life that I thought, you know what? I can find a book or a website that will support my view no matter what. (laughs) Yes. You know, like no matter what I want to align to, I can find some resource out there that will prove me right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah you know and have, and have tons of research and statistics to back it up to back it up you yeah. know from the china study to the paleo diet you know they both make a pretty strong case for eating no animal products whatsoever and only eating animal products yeah you know i mean what nobody seems to dispute is that vegetables are good for you but like <laughs> when it comes to animal products there's a you whole never eat vegetable yeah so so it's you know i guess when it comes to this kind of stuff it's like follow your gut follow your instinct um, do and I would say just from a personal note, this is not a podcast you know thing here. But Trevor's saying, um, make a conscious choice to uh, seek out the other side of the argument, mm. just to see what they've got to say, because it just might be valid. Yeah. Um, and then you know, go with your gut. You yeah. Know, go with what rings true for you. Yeah, or or like you know, some people even get uh, like what is it like that DNA testing that's really popular these days to find out like what's healthiest for you in terms of diet and really oh 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 right yeah like, the, for their particular chemistry yeah yeah for yeah. anyone's particular and and I think you know look this is the last thing I'll say on it and maybe this is AJ talking and not the podcast but <laughs> I feel like and I think I may have said this to Dennis during the interview I, I'm 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 it was a long time ago, so I'm not remembering, but we vote in this country with our wallet. Like, so even if you are against the sort of, you know, food industrial complex of this country, 
or the Western world for that matter. But you, but it's best for your chemistry to eat like a full on paleo diet or something like that. Like there's a way to make those, there's a way to, to marry those two. And yeah. it's, and it's yeah. where you put your dollar mm-hmm. and, and because that's how we vote in this country. Like, yes, it's a democratic nation, but you know, our, our votes because of how few people vote and because of the way that the system is set up, like it only means so much. And what really speaks is money, you know? So depending on where you put your dollar is, is what cause you are supporting or not. So I believe that there's a way to, to marry those two. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And thank you, Catherine, for, um, inviting this discussion on the on the podcast in fact i'm gonna we should respond to her email personally also Mm. but um thank you so much for for bringing this up and and bringing up some of the things you did it's really great to hear that people are are um mm, what's the word i'm looking for triggered by this kind of thing yeah Um, sure you know listening and and passionate about about this aspect of uh of our art Mm -hmm. yeah and, and proof that we're not speaking into the uh, barren <laughs> echo chamber of the internet. <laughs> Some dark, dirty hole. Woo-hoo. Uh, oh, so, um, awesome. yeah. So that, that, let's, <laughs> let's go roll into this interview. We have part two of our chat with Michael Lang and Monica Hafer, who, uh, as we said earlier, are writers. One's a stage director. One's an author as well. And both of them have um, worked a lot in creating short form content, short scenes, films, web series, that kind of thing. And in this second part of the interview, they have a few thoughts on how to craft effective short form content. So fitting a full story arc into five or six pages um, specifically. So there's some fun stuff in here. Make sure you guys are listening and mentally taking notes or physically taking notes. (laughs) And uh, we'll catch you on the other side. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I've I've seen a couple of TED talks on this. I think Elizabeth Gilbert's comes to mind most most quickly. But the Greeks had a really interesting view of not interesting. I think they had the right view of creativity, which was that not that any sort of creation came from the individual, but the individual was partnering with some divine energy, some greater spirit that worked through and with them to create this thing. And I think. Um, Genius, the origin of the word genius actually doesn't have anything to do with the individual. It has to do with, like, basically being possessed by some spirit to bring something greater than humanity into the world for a, a limited amount of time. And I, I love that. And I think it, it kind of, that's what I thought of when you were, you were saying that. Like, you know, you got to be in service to the story. And ultimately, it's because it's not about us. We're just the kind of a mechanism. Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like that sometimes. It's funny whenever I have conversations with other writers and whatnot, and we all have that similar moment where we want something to happen in our story, but we can't get it to happen for whatever reason. Like, I remember having a conversation a couple years ago where a friend was writing a, a book, and the whole point of the book was that this character was going to go on this a 
be uh, it was supposed to be a fish out of water coming of age story and so this character just had to get on this train go to this place and then once she got to this place that's where the story was supposed to begin and so she was supposed to get on the train like within the first chapter of the story and then but we're talking she's like yeah i'm six chapters in and she's still not on the train yet (laughs) and i can't get her on the train Uh it's it's one of those things because like the first question i always ask anybody when they're you know pitching me a story and whatnot is like okay what's the heart of the story what's the intention what why is this story so important to you that it has to be told because once i understand that then i can actually give feedback and structure to that because that's the first thing you have to understand when you're writing anything is what is the heart of the story? Why is it so important that I have to spend a lot of all this time to work on it? Because you're going to spend a lot of time working on it, whether you like it or not. You know, you, nothing just comes out, you know, perfect the first time. I, 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 I have this fun experiment that I do every now and again where I just kind of ad lib a story right off the top of my head. But I just do the process of what I do, what I'm writing out loud. And it's interesting how you realize how much a story will change in just five minutes of just talking through it. That, like, mm. I could be talking about, oh, yeah, this is a college student who's late to a test and blah, blah, blah. And then you realize, oh, well, that's not very interesting. So this is going to change. And, and by the time you finish your story, you're just like, okay, that story changed at least eight times while I was just saying it out loud. Uh-huh. And it's because you start realizing what that heart is. You start realizing why you want to tell the story. And then once you realize what that is, then everything focuses around that. And that becomes the center of everything and the foundation of what makes this important, why these characters are going through what they're going through, why the scenarios are happening, what it is. You know, for me, you always want to try to, you know, it's, it's, one of the first things I kind of learned or I, I do when I was writing is you create real characters. You create individuals that can live, breathe, and make decisions on their own. And then and they talk back. Yeah, yeah, they talk back and they get sassy sometimes. But uh, but then you just throw them into conflicts. And that's pretty much the, just the process of writing. It's like, okay, now that I have these characters, let's just give them shit to do. And then you just throw problem after problem and how they deal with it usually comes really organically like when people talk about how like oh i can't believe how you thought of that blah, blah, blah. it's like eh, it just happened it just yeah, <laughs> see, and and i i have two minds of writing because i have sat down with a script and gone about it really organically like say creating characters to creating a general premise and just kind of throwing things but i've also like i went through the ucla you know uh their their program um and, you know, it's like you have eight weeks, you plot it out, you make sure it has all, you hit all of the page numbers, the points, which is super helpful. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. That's really helpful from a, a structure standpoint. Made me understand spine, made me understand that whole, the, the rising tension, the denouement, the, you know, all of that, that stuff. But I think that then you got to kind of, have that that balance between that and that organic like i gotta see where the characters want to go yeah because it doesn't matter if i have it all plotted out if one of my characters suddenly is like no yeah i mean it's it's one of those i mean i i always find it interesting when i when i'm working on a story and then i'm like halfway through it and then my brain suddenly is very aware it's like one of these characters is going to die in five pages. <laughs> and then you just stop. And you're just like, whoa, wait. I have to process that before it happens. I need to have a drink. And, it, and it's weird like, when stuff like that happens because you're uh, at least I feel like subconsciously you're always working the story as you're working the story live and stuff and so things just start happening in the back of your head that you become aware of and you have these moments that you never thought about and this happens a lot on television that um, 
because you have so much time to think about your stories after you've told certain sections of it that you get to add and evolve. And I remember hearing um, one of the stories, uh, um, I keep going back to Breaking Bad for some reason, but okay, I've been reading a lot of interviews and stuff. It's a show that made me realize I have a lot to learn <laughs> when it comes to storytelling. Yeah. And so it's one of those shows that I'm constantly talking about now. But um, it's the master. Yeah, it's that. It's the yeah, master. It's a master it's class of yeah. storytelling. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I like for me because I like like Monica was saying. I started off with the very organic, very just creative world of writing of like this is the stories, these are the characters, and then the last five six years got into the very technical of like okay, page for page, line for line, what is happening, is everything moving, blah blah, blah getting really. Just struggling that. What that did to me was basically ruin my viewing experiences because now anytime <laughs> I'm watching anything, I'm constantly trying to be ahead of the story, and so right. I'm making choices. I'm uh, predicting the choices that certain creators are going to make, and if they make the choices that I make, I see if it worked or not. If they don't, I see if that works or not, and if it does work what was i thinking that didn't get me there and breaking bad i was never ever ahead of them like it's mm-hmm. it's really rare for me to say that but like that was a show that like i was literally minute for minute just going what the hell is going to happen with them though they were smart yeah because what i hate more than anything is is watching a show where you're going these characters would a not be alive yeah <laughs> they're dumb um you know or b that wouldn't happen that way or whatever and i think that's like I look at shows like that, and I'm like, the writers, well, and everybody, the collective process, because I think people bring gems to yeah. the, the things, too, as you're creating well, exactly, it. exactly, because, like, one of the, what I was meaning to say was the fact that, like, within the first season, Vince Gillian said that his whole intention was to kill Jesse's character off that like he, he that um, Paul Aaron's character was going to was originally supposed to die within the first season mm. but because of what they did with the first season he realized how much of an asset that character was and that actor was and that it would be too soon and so he switched and changed it up so that way he could continue on and you're just like that's that yeah. again that moment where like you've always thought this was going to be the way that like he probably had that vision of like okay this is how it's going to happen blah blah and then somewhere through that process it changed and you, you have to go with it because just like no, this this would make it better. This would this makes sense. Essentially, I think, like I think it's kind of like the the microcosm macrocosm. Like when when we're talking about you know the fact that your characters decide to do other things. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this instance, like you know you've got the writer, showrunner, and all that, and you've got an actor that brings so much interest and so much you know greatness and connection and really connects with an audience in such a way. That you realize that's kind of the the playing out of that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a person that's doing that, and so I think you know if you're an actor and you're thinking about you know how you create this process, also I think that's a real thing to think about. The fact that you know in something like that, your creation of the character can affect how things move. Mm-hmm. No, you know? totally. I mean, it's I when it comes to writing screenplays and directing uh, my shorts and web series and whatnot I'm very adamant when I say that like I'm not much of a dialogue writer um, in essence that I don't really pay too much attention to there are, there'll be always be moments where I'm like okay it, this has to be said this way because it just sounds cool <laughs> but um, but for the most part it's just getting down the basic emotional stuff of okay this is what's important this is what needs to be said this is why it needs to be said and then when it comes to the directing world you know you sit you 
let your actors play, and once they get into those characters, things just start happening, and you just go, "Oh, I like that better," and it makes you decide, "Okay, I'm going to take this character to a different direction because I like what this person was really mm-hmm. doing with that character and whatnot." And that, ha- like, I, I enjoy those moments more than not because it's like Monica was saying, it just. When you're creating anything, you know, the more time you have, the more real and the more um, exciting and visceral it can be. But when you don't have the time to let something sit, and when I say time, like I'm working on a story right now that I've been developing since I was like 12 years old. And that world now is completely different from the world that it was five years ago to the world that it was 10 years ago to 16 years. Yeah, exactly. You grow, you learn, and you add everything that you you go through into this character and to the story to the world and all that stuff but when you have a limited amount of time to tell the story that's when you want to pull from people's other talents and whatnot and so when an actor starts doing something you're like ooh, i never actually thought about it that way you know actually working with you a couple of times have has done that with me where mm. you brought something to a character uh that i just kind of didn't think about going that way for whatever reason. I was like, oh, I like that a lot better. <laughs> and now I know where I would take that if I had more to do with it. I, mm. I think as, as a director, for me, what I'm learning is the, again, for me, it's the, the balancing. Like, I have to really know what my goal is and what I'm about as a director, what I like and what I don't like. And yet, at the same time, be open to those things that other people create. Because occasionally you get something that's like, it's a total no. It's like, that's beautiful, but not for this show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, that that's a great moment, but it takes us in a whole different direction, and we're going to have to rewrite the whole thing, and, and maybe we don't have time for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so as a director, that's the decision-making process to be, like, really balanced in, in ego and in, you know, decisiveness and all that and to be also fluid and open Mm. so it's Mm. that that question of you know does this make it better does it not make it better if it does let's use it if it doesn't let's not but you know because i've 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 had mostly stage people i would say um that you know they're like well let's let's explore Mm. and you explore (laughs) and you explore and finally it's like all you did was explore Right. What you guys didn't see was the hand motion. It's a lewd and unsavory hand motion. Um, yeah, but but you know, to me, from a director's standpoint, that's the the whole creating an environment where your actors feel free to create to take things places, but also being decisive enough where you can look at it and say yes, no. Right. You know, or let's briefly explore this, or let's think about that, or even to be able to say, I don't know about that, give me a second, I'm going to think about it, and I'll be right back with you. Yeah. But, yeah you always want yeah. a time to think. It, it's, yeah. it's, it's something that I actually learned uh, to ask for now, because, every, because, you know, when you're on set, sets are chaotic. You know, if something's not working, people want to answer right away, but when you're under that kind of stress and pressure, you want to always make sure that you're doing the right thing for the story, and so you sometimes need to be like, okay, I get it, something's not working, give me, like, two, three minutes. Like, everyone just mm-hmm. shut up. Let me <laughs> right, think. Right. <laughs> let me process this information. And, yeah. and, you know, sometimes you need more than that. And so that means, you know, and that goes into the production end of like, okay, if this isn't working, let's move on to something else. Come back to this. So that one, we have a better idea of what yeah. is happening. Sometimes you pull from, you know, stuff that you've already done or something that you know is going to happen. It's, it's one of those crazy things where like, you know, <laughs> writing is a thing that this being a storyteller is basically what I am. Writing is, 
is kind of my tool to be able to do that. And directing is more like just kind of controlling the chaos of just basically you're the captain of the boat and I just got to get it to this destination. And so you have your crew, you have your team, and you're just trying to get it there in one piece. Right, <laughs> That's right. kind of the goal. And, you know, for me, it's, it's interesting because... I've you know directed my own stuff, but I'm now starting to get opportunities to direct other people's work and stuff like that. And that's a that's where that kind of mentality really comes from. Of realizing as a director, my job is to understand what the heart of the story is, why it's important, and then make that happen as best as I can. Because you know it's one of my greatest fears of whenever I direct anybody else's work is. Uh oh. <laughs> That was an alarm, not the phone. <laughs> I have alarm sets. My phone is I like your alarm, though. Yeah, that was epic. Decidedly, <laughs> I, I need an epic alarm. cinematic. <laughs> Everything in my life is cinematic. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those things that, uh, you know, when I'm working, when I'm directing someone else's work, I don't ever want to place my own creative, not my own creative thoughts into it, but my own style and intentions into it because there's a specific reason why stories are, uh, certain stories is being told and for me the moment I attach to that message I attach to that heart and that integrity that becomes the goal of like okay get this across you know you can tweak things here and there to get that across but don't change that element of it because that's the yeah. only reason why you're working on it is because of this message this this through line and so that through line is this thing that you just kind of you know move towards I, you know, this is all so fantastic, and I, like, I really hope that our listeners have a pen and paper while they're <laughs> listening to this, because there's a lot of great stuff that I think um, you guys are bringing up, especially for, for an actor, like creating their own content, and man, we all have to be directors. I mean, I'm speaking as an actor right yeah. now. We have to be directors, and we have to find the heart of the story, and we have to let it gestate, gestate and percolate and all that fun stuff and find find out what it's actually trying to say to us mm-hmm. which i think is is so crucial if we were to kind of condense some of the things maybe that you guys would want to impart to a, a diy audience a do-it-yourself audience as far as actors creating their own content and yes the all the end goal is to you know if i'm an actor creating my own stuff i want people to see my work i want them to see me in a role that is perfect for me so i so it can lead to more work but as I said earlier, I think a lot of times that becomes the main purpose and the story becomes this kind of secondary structure that just supports my little showcase. And that, that doesn't always, I think, serve the greater good. So, so what would you impart to, to a couple nuggets that you impart to a DIY actor who wants to make their own content but wants to make something good that people are going to watch, not because they care about the actor necessarily, but because they want to see a, a good story? Um, I would say, I mean, again, there's that everyone should write, not everyone is a writer. <laughs> and that just comes from experience, years of working on things and learning the technical element of all sorts of things. And so I feel like, you know, for any, for anybody, cause I know that most people need to get, want to get things done sooner than later. The problem is to tell great stories. You need that time. If you don't have that time, then you need more minds kind of mentality. And so I would always just basically suggest, you know, find, find the story that you want to connect to first and foremost. And the easiest way to be able to do that is either dig deep down inside of yourself and find something that you've always wanted to pull from or find stories that inspire you. Movies and TV shows or books that are out there that really hit you in a certain place. And then try to reverse engineer why that 
hit you, you know, because mm. it's not about the plot. It's not about, you know, sometimes it's about the characters. It's, just, it's usually not about the plot, but it's, there's something happening in that growth, in that arc. Because when you're telling stories in the short form, and, you know, because when you're writing a feature and you're writing a TV series, there's a different way of going about that than when you're going about shorts because you only have so much time. And so you can't really get stuck into convoluted plots with twists and turns. Your character isn't going to go through a full-on arc. You know, they're going to... It's the, the way that I kind of explain it is when you're writing a short, you're literally writing a fairy tale with a moral of a story kind of a feel. Mm-hmm. That, like, this is a, a really quick seven-minute thing, and by the end of it this character learns something new about their life, you know, kind of a thing. And so you're really, I mean, if you do understand um, screenwriting format, you know, you're basically writing a sequence. You know, if you're looking at a movie, you have a, a big feature film that's 120 minutes long. Usually there's three acts within that movie, which is three big chunks of growth. And then within those big chunks, you have your sequences, which are smaller chunks of growth. And then if you break that down to scenes and whatnot, but the sequence is essentially where I feel like the short lives. And, and, a sequence is very focused. A sequence has one intention, and you know, it's okay. This is what's going to happen with the sequence, and so from the beginning, the character is going to be here. At the end, the character is going to be there, and this is what's going to change within mm-hmm. the beginning to the end. And once you have that, once you have that moral of the story, that lesson of like, you know, believe in your dreams and success will come or whatever, create that as best as you can. You know, with all your mentalities, but then once you have that, get other people to go through it. Find other writers, find other you know people that will that understand the technical end of it, and have, let them rip it apart and let them question everything that's happening because that's that's how story gets created. Is when so you put something out there and it's and it's good enough that people have questions and they were like, okay, so what did this mean and what, why is that important and and what is this conversation between these two happening because. What will always tend to happen within your first draft when you're writing in the short form is you're trying to put as much information as possible, especially if you're like adapting from a feature. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of people that uh, that um, submit stuff to me and whatnot is like, oh, this is a short, but it's supposed to be a feature film, and I basically you know just took parts of it and put it together to make the short version, and you know. For me, that's sort of not cheating, but it, it's not doing justice of the story because your feature is going to have its own different intention because it's a bigger story. It has more time to digest and more time for you to understand these characters and whatnot. When you're writing for the short, you need to give it a di- not a different intention, but a slightly different purpose, mm-hmm. essentially. And you want to either create some, you know, for me, I always basically say if you're going to adapt something from a feature story, Pull a character from that and focus on that character. Whereas your feature will focus on all these different things and all these different elements. Find a character that maybe doesn't get a lot of screen time in your feature. You know, maybe he's a co-star or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Take that character, give him something more, and that way people, at the very least, will understand your world, understand what's going on, and you get to have a little piece that stands alone, but also supplements something, uh, you know, to the bigger end. Um, the last thing you want to do is start cutting and pasting pages mm-hmm. <laughs> to make a short story. You know, yeah, you don't want to yeah. take your feature and go like, okay, I'll just take page two, one to three, and then four to then fifty to sixty-seven, and you know, it, it's make something new out of it so that mm-hmm. way it comes off fresh and it doesn't come off because you don't want people going like, well, there's a lot of things missing, or I didn't understand these elements because you're literally 
missing out on all these parts and you're just moving ahead in the story, create something original. Create something that is self-contained, that has its beginning, middle, and end, and and has a small little you know emotional journey for the characters to go through. Mm-hmm. Blake Snyder put, said something in his book, Save the Cat, which is a book that I I really latched onto, not not too rigidly because because you don't want to you know be cookie cutter about it unless it serves you. But in one of the chapters, he talks about his board and little index cards he puts on his board and how he has this little symbology for each card. And um, two, the, I guess the two pairs of symbols are two arrows pointing at each other and then a plus and a minus sign. And essentially that stands for what's the conflict in the scene? And then does the scene end on an emotional high or an emotional low? And whatever it ends on, it's got to begin at the opposite. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, that was really interesting because I thought, well, that's really rigid. I'm not going to conform. Like, nobody could tell me how to tell a story. <laughs> but then I was like, you know what? That's what storytelling is. Mm-hmm. Essentially, each little mini scene, as, as you just kind of said, Michael, is a thesis statement mm-hmm. on how life works and how people respond to different situations. And if, and Blake says, if you've got two people entering a room, you've got Bob and Jane and Bob needs to get to the other side of the room and Jane needs to get to the other side of the room. And they, they start on opposite sides. They meet in the middle and they struggle past each other. And mm-hmm. that's essentially what's happening in each scene. Yeah. And just hearing what you just said kind of crystallized it for me. I thought, Oh my gosh, that's what a short form mm-hmm piece of story is, whether it's a film or a web series or just a, a scene that somebody's shooting in their apartment on, su- on a Sunday afternoon with their friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got to have those elements and then you've got something. You've got something that you can show people that they're not going to think is just a showcase piece. Yeah. That they're going to go, oh my god, there's something actually happening here and mm-hmm. this is actually interesting to me on a heart level. Mm-hmm. See, wait, wait, you just said first of all, everyone should read Save the Cat. I really oh, I firmly believe Required that. Required reading. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's, I, I'm going to say this, I think it's better than Sid Field in a lot of ways. Yeah. <laughs> for, for a new revolution of, of something new to say about it that. Just, yeah, it packages the information in a different way that I really responded to. And a to. new discussion about genre that I thought was really mm, useful mm-hmm. about what is genre. Um, I'm, I'm going to to kind of go off what Michael said. I think for me, there, there's three things for the do-it-yourself. The first is that arc. If I'm writing a one-page scene if i'm writing a script it's all about the arc there has to be that feeling of beginning middle and end that that movement in it um so you feel like you have closure even if you just saw 30 seconds you have closure at the end of 30 seconds or a feeling of if not closure completeness um the other thing is you know if you are having problems deciding to shoot shoot the heart of whatever it is you know michael had talked about you know where is the heart of the story that's actually what I want to see on film. Like, I don't give a shit about the business of, you know, you just brushed your teeth or whatever. Like, I want to see the emotional heart. I want to see the thesis. I want to see the the ideology. Whatever it is that's the heart of your thing, you as an actor, that's what I want to be seeing from you. And the the last thing I would, I would say, and this is really from the point of, of acting, I see a lot of actors playing characters because their agent told them they should or they feel like they need to branch out or be different or whatever. So they're shooting these things. And the problem I see with it is there's no... I don't buy it. I don't believe it. Um, You know, you're neurotic girl number two. And it comes across really flat. Like you just, you know... And the thing is, the words could be the same and another actress could pick it up and I buy it. Now, why is that? I don't think that, that... Sometimes actors do the deep work on stuff that they don't think is 
it's that whole like this is a dramatic piece of course i must do deep personal work to get really into it and so they do that work but you look at comedy or you look at you know neurotic girl number two and there's you didn't do the work for it because it's easy it's comedy who that you know mm. but you look at the people who really do comedy well and it's juicy i mean i think of of you know bridesmaids there's a lot of like i cried through half of that because it's like i bought that those <laughs> characters like i laughed i cried i did not hurl but um but i but i bought that because it was such a juicy performance psychologically even though they were doing comedy yeah and i think from an an acting point of view if you're shooting a short a lot of times people enjoy seeing comedic content it's light it's funny it's fast it goes on the web easy you get lots mm-hmm. of people sharing it because it's easy to, to digest yes yeah. yeah and people like to laugh but the problem is if you're playing these characters or your agent says you need a piece that looks like this to promote yourself you still got to get into the juicy factor and you really have to feel whatever it is because like in bridesmaids you have some incredibly funny moments that are tragic that are horribly tragic but you buy it because these actors are really deep and invested in that character mm. and i think that's the, that's my bit of advice from an acting standpoint it's like even if you're shooting comedy you got to you got to do that work that makes people buy it because it's not just that the stereotypical whatever it is you know whatever category stereotype you're shooting that's a real person and the reason it's funny is because it's real and it's uncomfortable usually i Mm -hmm. mean you know like whatever that is so it's like invest in those also because otherwise it's a bad acting job and it's not really funny and it doesn't help your career at all because yeah you know. I mean, the, the roots of comedy are always tragedy mm-hmm. i mean that's where the funny stuff comes from is some awful situation that you find a way to laugh about yeah. mm-hmm. essentially or somebody reacts in an inappropriate way mm-hmm. and then it's, it hurts so much that yeah our response is laughter. But, but see, a lot of the characters don't want to go to the hurdy part of the comedy. They're like, if I'm crazy girl number five, I'm going to raise my voice like this and act like this and throw right. my hands like this. Caricatures. Yes, yeah. instead of like, you know... Understanding why that character is actually like that. If, and, if yeah. you were a real crazy girl, this would not be funny. Yeah. And therefore, the audience will laugh. Yeah, yeah. It's a difference between, yeah, between, between being a character and impersonating a character. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Especially true in comedy. Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're just about out of time here, but we like to wrap up with a couple questions that we ask all our guests. And they're a little, um, we always say this, our listeners are probably so sick of hearing us say this. They're a little woo-woo, they're a little out there, but, uh, but bear with us. So the first question is, um, do you feel like this career chose you or did you choose it? And I think we've answered this already, but let's, just, let's hear what you guys have to say uh, now I, that we're at the other end of the conversation. Yeah, uh, I definitely think the, the career chose me. It's, it's, it's easy to think that simply because i'm only happy when i'm doing this like when i'm doing anything Mm -hmm. else i i feel like i'm in that fog of just kind of going even like it's funny because like i have a production company that you know that i run and that i'm constantly working on but there's a business side to that that even now feels like that fog that haze and it isn't until i'm sitting in front of my computer struggling over a screenplay or on set shooting something that like i actually feel alive and happy and and just just 
excited about the days and whatnot. And so I definitely feel like it's 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 not an option for me. Like this is the only time I'm ever at one with myself. So mm. it definitely chose me. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the fate and free will question. It's like the career chose me. I could choose not to pursue it, but there's a price. Mm. And it's the whether or not you're willing, like that's, you know, and, and that you have to be able once the career has chosen you to actually get those things on page. Because I think that's like a lot of the, the writers that turn to drink and drugs and killing themselves <laughs> is because they they aren't getting that out. They aren't letting those floodgates free and it's it's too painful not to. So, you know, either you have to either you have to say, no, I'm not going to go through all the hardship of, of being a creative type, but I'm going to go over here and just do a day job and take the price of that. Or you take the other price and you become a, an artist. Hmm. So. I've never heard that put that way before. That's really... Well, it's, you know, fate and free will, man. A little bit of a noodle bake, actually. <laughs> you you wanted woo woo. There you go. We take everything to the deeper level. <laughs> So and the, when, last, the last question I have for you guys before we wrap up is, uh, if you could take all your experience, all your knowledge, all your uh, accrued experience and knowledge, <laughs> and, and bubble, or boil it down to one nugget of wisdom that you could pass on to another creative person on this journey, what would that one nugget of wisdom be? Hmm. I'll pull from one of my old sayings. Um, it would really be wise eyes need not experience, but the will to experience. Uh, something I learned very early on in life is that to become greatest, to just know that you're always learning, that you'll never know enough, you'll never understand enough. And so for me, it, the moment I, I start saying, oh, I, I know what I'm doing and I know everything is the moment that I start sucking honestly mm-hmm. it's, it's you for me every i i live life like a tv show every day is an episode of a sitcom in my reality and i refuse to have filler episodes if i have a day that nothing happened and i didn't learn anything and i didn't grow as a human being then i feel like i had a filler day and that tomorrow has to be a, a story arcing day where where <laughs> i had to awesome. throw myself into some conflict and I do something that you that see I your life a, in terms of like an episodic I or do. procedure. It's That's funny because like you hear when I laugh, I laugh pretty loud, and it's only because I have laughter in my head when a joke happens, <laughs> and so I just I think there's a crowd the of people laugh laughing track. with me. But really, it's just me Lord. laughing really loud because yeah, there's just a laugh track constantly what inside was, my head. What was that saying again? Wise eyes, uh, wise eyes need not experience, but the will to experience. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's something I came up with uh, right out of college, I think, because I was in that place of mind where I was like, I've got this figured out, blah, 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 and then realized very quickly, no, you don't, and you never Mm -hmm. will. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And just be okay with that. Be okay with the fact that you're always learning, that you'll you'll always be making mistakes, but those mistakes will make you stronger, better, and get you where you want to go. T. Harvecker says, uh, the three most dangerous words in the English language are, I know that. And that re- I heard that years ago, and it really stuck with me. I thought, oh, man, that's so true. Almost every problem we've had as a species can be traced back to some dudes Same. or some yeah. woman saying, <laughs> I know that, and just assuming that they've got it figured out. Exactly. And a lot of times it's good to know when, you, when you've earned your position, mm-hmm. but you got to come from this eternal You value the experience kind of, that you go through, yeah. but, you, but 
just know that there's always new information out there for you, especially when you're a writer. I mean, when you're someone in the creative world, you know that there are a million, there are literally a billion characters out there for you to learn from. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the moment you say, I don't want to listen to you anymore because I don't agree with what you're saying and I'm above you and I'm better than you, then you're limiting yourself from a character that's a real human being that you can learn to digest and put into your stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I, I think my my bit of wisdom is the you know my mantra is we move forward in faith and it's that moment of of indiana jones when he's staring at the chasm and he steps anyway and there's a ledge there that goes across i love that scene yeah yeah um you know you are never guaranteed another day you get hit by a bus you die whatever like you are you have all this creative stuff you have all this these gifts to give and you have to just make that that step forward and keep moving and keep going putting yourself out there to create and do new things and just find it in yourself to have the faith that either a you're strong enough to to bounce back from whatever slings and arrows might happen or B, that there really is that pathway there and that you're going to be all right. Because, you know, mm. so much of so much of creating people get stopped because they have a crisis of faith. Am I good enough? Is this work good enough? Is whatever, am I going to make it? Am I crap? Am I whatever? And a lot of times you just have to put that to the side and go, we're, we're moving forward with faith. We're just going to take the step and then we're going to take another step and we're going to take another step and someday we'll be at the other side of the chasm and then there'll be another one. <laughs> right, right. But but to me, that's the the thing that's served me the best is it's like we just need to keep moving. We don't, we don't know what that other step is going to look like even sometimes. Mm-hmm. We might have planned something. We take a step and we're in, you know, we're in Wonderland. We're in someplace totally different. But that's the only thing that to me whenever i get beset by those crises of faith am i doing it right am i okay it's just like well it doesn't matter we're just gonna take another step right so that's my and i think everybody deals with that i mean you know james cameron deals with that i'm sure whenever he's making a movie it's like oh god is this gonna be my big flop is this gonna be the thing that i'm gonna be known for uh, (laughs) as as like a horrible like i think that every person has those conversations but the difference between somebody like that mm-hmm. and somebody whose name you don't know or whose work you've never seen is that that person, the James well, Camerons, James they, they Cameron, move forward with. He and Catherine Bigelow, Strange Days. Technically, that was a flop. People look at that. People don't remember Strange Days. You don't. But that was technically, I don't believe it was, but it was technically what they felt like was a failure. And they've made, you know... Both of them got. She has an Oscar now. Yeah, both <laughs> kind of dusted themselves off. And, they dusted themselves yeah. off, and they. Well, the doubt never goes again. away. I mean, no. it's it's one of those things that I really. It's funny because I, I watch you know, as much behind the scenes stuff and whatnot, and I see you know I was watching uh, the South Park. Uh, behind the scenes uh, one week to launch kind of a thing and it's basically their process of how they do it and you see Trey Parker sitting at his desk just banging his head on his keyboard like this episode's gonna suck this episode's gonna suck no one's gonna like it I'm just gonna kill myself with McDonald's slowly and I was like oh I do that too that's never going to change and, and awesome yeah. Dustin yeah. Hoffman Dustin, I think it was Dustin Hoffman that said he's always worried somebody's gonna figure out he's a fake yeah. you know yeah. he's a phony yeah. a lot of that Kate Winslet has said that before yeah. and I was like wow it's, it's so wonderful to hear that these people are are experiencing human things or they don't have some special secret their yeah. secret mm-hmm. quote unquote 
is hard work and risk. It's because yeah. Yeah. because what we do, we put out there for everybody to see. And the moment you know you're deciding to do that, that makes life very terrifying because you know you know that not everybody's going to love it. Like it's just impossible to tell or do a performance or tell a story that everybody in this world is going to unanimously stand up and cheer for. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. The hope is that more people like it than hate it, and then you can live with that. But you know, it's all just learning. It's, it's all just life, and it's all just putting it out there because you want to and it, because it drives you inside and there's a fire that's burning that just can never be squashed and and so you just do it and just hope for the best and you learn and you know you make the mistakes and, and all that better. stuff and you get better you slowly get better and better and better and you know then you watch shows and movies that make you go oh, I have so much more to learn but then you strive and you learn and you get better and that's it you know you you the the concept of just having one story to tell and saying this is my one shot and this if this doesn't make it then that's it is already a defeating thing because you need that practice like any mm-hmm. career you need to just keep going you need to keep working you need to figure out what you're doing wrong and do it right and all that stuff and so you just got to keep cranking it out and so for me you know you develop your shorts you develop your web series and with that practice you'll, you'll learn how to make your features and your TV series more attainable more focused because you're so focused on telling short stories really well that once you get the opportunity to tell a two hour long story every scene should mean something because you've been doing that mm-hmm. you know so steadily but at least that's where I'm toward, headed yeah, towards I, I love that. yeah that's a that's a great note to end on uh, what I didn't mention was that both of you, uh, I've experienced at least, maybe it was your writing, I'm not sure. I've experienced a couple pieces of writing through Rapid Reels, which is um, kind of how I, I met Michael and Monica. I know you do writing for Rapid Reels as well. So if people are interested in finding out more about you and your work, aside from going to Rapid Reels' YouTube channel and their website and finding out more about that, where where else can I go? Are you guys on Twitter, Facebook? Uh, we do have a Twitter. We have a Facebook account that we're always posting up. We're actually trying to get our Facebook to be more interactive with uh, with our community because, you know, we're not just... For us, it's not simply just being a company that produces content for actors and blah, 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 blah. You know, we love creating. And one of my favorite things to do is sitting with, with clients and talking to them about things they want to do because they come from that, like, this is what my agent tells me, this is what I think I'm good for. And then we get to sit and talk about the root and the heart and they're like okay so if this is the character you want to play why is this character important and all that stuff mm-hmm. and so you know we love feedback from other actors of what they're looking for and all that stuff and so we're trying to evolve our facebook page a bit better so that way there's a bit more interaction and you know just start talking with our community because essentially the way that i'd like to see it is see us is that we're just a team of creative people that are here to help other people create stuff and so yeah if you're looking at great stuff, give us a call, check out what we do. <laughs> and individually, if they want to learn more about you guys, I mean, I know you have a web series in the works, Monica. Um, I do. We have a, a Twitter, Tales of the Sword. Um, we are shooting the first episode in November. Uh, we do have a website. Um, you, you'll be able to see the, the episode once it goes live. Um, so, talesofthesword.com. Awesome. Sorry, um, I'm just writing this down right now. Yeah, so I don't not a problem. Uh, right now, like I said, we're because we're just in the pre-production. What you'll see is some artwork uh, for it, and some behind-the-scenes uh, stills. Lots of sword fighting. Um, it's it's, it's going to be epic. So cool. so keep keep track of that one. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, uh, Monica Hafer. And then I do have Facebook, <laughs> the Book of Face. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, by the time this comes out, you'll uh, probably have my website up, so you could probably find me on sacreddream.com. Sacreddream.com? Yeah. Okay, Wendy. cool. And uh, yeah, I'll have uh, that page up. I'll have a bunch of short stories and stuff from me and awesome. as I work on my own writing stuff. So I love it. Well, this has been really, really great. Thank you so much, guys, for taking the time. Uh, I know I learned a lot just, just sitting here listening to you guys, and I'm excited to kind of jump into my projects and <laughs> and and let them speak to me, really, yes. more than me trying to force what I think they should be. It's funny because I feel them. like the writing element of writing is probably the most stressful and frustrating part of it. The fun part is literally just sitting there and imagining it all happen. <laughs> or having written. Yeah. I love that exercise that you do, Michael, where you just say... You just talk it out. Yeah. yeah. Like that's, that's such a great tool. Yeah. It, it's, cool. a, no, it's a great way to really understand where, where your mind's at is just say it out loud, hear it, you know, cause when you hear it, it comes off differently than when you're just thinking it. Yeah. And it takes that pressure of the page mm-hmm. off too. Yeah, exactly. Like page. Awesome. Exactly. <laughs> well, thanks again, guys. This has been great. Thank, Thank you. you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yep. Hello, welcome back. Well, anyone uh, inspired to make a web series now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, really good, really good stuff from two people that are clearly very mired in the creative process. And I, I love that Monica even talked about, you know, like leaving her day job, like to take a serious cut in pay, to be, to basically be in a life that resonates with her mm-hmm. versus a life that was secure but doesn't. Yeah. That's a big, that's a brave choice. Yeah. I also think it's interesting, the the storytelling that's happening uh, these days. I mean, we've kind of talked about this on the podcast before, but just that, you know, short film has existed, sure, for a while, you know, 10, 15, sometimes even 30-minute short films like that. That medium has existed, but, <clears throat> you know, to, to put it down to five, six minutes and then the whole web series concept and, and to have people actually focused on, you know, what does that story arc look like? And they're, you know, and, and then getting good at, you know, that particular art form yeah. is, um, yeah. it's interesting. And something that I think may, it, it, it like it, the, the, the problem wasn't there to be solved until recently, if, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's it is interesting to see, you know, how our culture is I guess we're more we we're, we seem to be simul well, I don't know, because we seem to be leaning towards more bite-sized information. You know, we, we mm-hmm. talked about Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and it's like you just flip through your feed and quick absorbing little quick bites of information. Mm-hmm. But then we have, you know, long-form TV content like Breaking Bad. And, you know, the tutors and all these shows, which are more popular than ever. It's like the golden area for that kind of art form for TV. And those are an hour apiece. And people are binge watching those. You know, like, you never watch just one of those. Mm-hmm. You wait till the season is done. And then you sit down and waste two entire days going through everything. <laughs> right? Yes. I mean, that seems to be a trend that, that's, that's happening. So, yeah. you know, it's interesting to see where we choose to consume content um, and how. Like, there's, there's a time and a place for it. And it's kind of interesting to see when, like, what the right circumstances are. But, you know, as far as artists, uh, you know, people like in our situation go, I think that it's really great to just be able to create a body of work for yourself um, using some of the tools that are 
more easily digestible at this moment. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you work your way up from there. Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought about that binge watching thing versus, you know, cause we, yeah, you, like you mentioned Twitter and like the web series, the five, six minute, like the YouTube videos or like the one minute sketch on like funny or die or YouTube or whatever. Right. It's kind of yeah. like, that's kind of like the Twitter post, right? The 140 characters. But then you have like, you know, 45 minute, 46 minute to, to hour long, you know, episodes of television, which people are watching hours and hours and hours and hours at a time. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I don't know, like the novel. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like that's the book. Like the, these little snippets, these little skits are like the Twitter posts. And then these are like the books or the novels because you're watching. And there's a, I feel like there's an appreciation for both. There's an appreciation for these short story arcs and for these longer story arcs over here. Um, and I think that's, it's probably why, I mean, it's definitely why Netflix and Hulu and all these sort of um, internet media companies are so successful. Right yeah. Now. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 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 For sure. It's uh, it's really interesting the time that we're in, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's really trippy to see where it's going. Well, what a perfect uh, interview. Yeah, then. yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly. So we hope uh, people got some good stuff out of that. Uh, what is your pick of the week? Picks of the week. Uh, my pick of the week, um, I feel, I don't know what the right word is, a bit like a fraud um, having this as my pick of the week, only because I, I, the more I get into it, the deeper the, as you like to call it, rabbit hole goes. Um, and... I'll explain what I mean in more detail, but my pick of the week is a band called Coheed and Cambria, and they're out of New York. They started in like 2001, so they've been around a long time, but I was just into their music. I listened to a couple of albums, and like their music is just so epic. Like It's been used in movie trailers, and there's a reason for that. Like It's just, it's, it's just big and loud and awesome. It's uh, this sort of combination of like metal and rock and punk and you know it's it's so loud that at first listen you know you might have someone be you know be like that's the devil's music or something (laughs) but it's it's actually uh it's 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 so melodic that it that it's not Mm. that and it's easily listenable to if if it's not if you know that's not your 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 bag Right, of right. music. Um, and then, <clears throat> as I started getting more and more into them, I found out that their every single album they've ever released is a concept album. And they all come together to... Because te- I always thought, oh, these lyrics are really interesting. They all come together to tell the story, this, this science fiction story that was written by the lead singer... Um, called like the something like the Amory Chronicles or something like that. I, I need to do more research or, or actually just get into it. So the entire like their entire catalog is this one story in this one world telling this telling this this science fiction story. And the, apparently the, there's comic books that coincide with this world, this story, and there's also like a full on novel, like a full on book. That's written about so it as cool. well. So, so cool. Now that I now that I know all of this, 
that's sort of why I feel like a fraud because I haven't read the comic books and the and the novel and stuff. Um, but now that I know all of this, I'm like, wow! Like, not only is their music awesome, but then there's this whole other storytelling layer, mm-hmm. which obviously gets me as a storyteller excited. And um, so I feel like, yeah, this is my pick of the week. But I'll be back for more. Like, <laughs> I'll be back to make like yeah. maybe the comic books or the novel my pick. Of, I don't know, but it's just um, it's it's really fascinating. I'm looking forward. So if there's any Coheed and Cambria fans out there, like, don't burn me at the stake because I haven't. Right, really gotten right. into it. I'm just uh, I'm putting the awareness out there because their their music is fantastic. That is really cool. I love the blending of art forms there. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that he's, you know, I, I mean, this is probably um, through my own filter, my own lens. But you know, I I tend to have a lot of what we call either or conversations. I mean, you know me. It's, mm-hmm. it's like something that I'm just am practicing the opposite of essentially. Um, but it's a practice and, um, you know, like it's just cool to hear about guys who were like, or girls, I don't really know the band that well, but like people who are like, we make music, but that's not just who we, that's not all we are. That's not, we're creative beings. And fuck, if we want to write a book and a comic book and a story, (laughs) like through our music, then that's what we'll do. And I just think it's really cool. There's, There's no, there's no lot. There's no edge to what this art form consists of. Mm. You know, I love that. I love the freedom there. There's no edge. There is no edge. Yeah. There's no spoon. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it reminds me of like you know Rush or Led Zeppelin in terms of mm-hmm. concept albums. And anyway, cool, really Sweet. cool stuff. I think you Sweet. would like them too. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and I have a pick of the week that's also uh, music. Um, mm, look it, it up. is. It is this chick named Marie, and she spells it M R E E. And she's 19, 20 years old, based out of New York, and um, she just writes this really beautiful music. She's uh, she's a DIY musician, so she produces it herself. She writes it herself, and she got her start just by doing covers of uh, of uh, Sufjan Stevens and uh, Bon Iver stuff on YouTube. She just recorded herself playing it, and she got a big fan base and started writing her own music and layering her vocal tracks and things like that and and eventually she started self-producing her records and started self-producing her own music videos and it's just really beautiful music it and i it's not typically the kind of music i would go for but i was so inspired by the diy-ness of it Mm. um that i bought the album and i've just really been experiencing the different um layers and feelings and there's an interesting folky quality to it as well but it's also a little bit electronic uh, it's it's good stuff it's good stuff i discovered her through this article i read uh from a newsletter i get from tunecore.com and tunecore is a, a company that supports musicians in getting their music distributed on itunes and amazon and spotify and all that stuff and she had an article in there or i guess they maybe they asked her to write a blog post it seemed like it was a featured thing that she just wrote for them about producing her own music video and it was really cool to just read about her process and and she's so young you know and she, but she just she has a maturity to her that you yeah. just can't help but admire so music's really great and i would say if you're going to look at two tracks in particular the two that i've really been digging are into the well which is the first track off her most recent album and then i think it's the sixth or seventh track called lift me up which was recently featured on some CW show. I think it was like a vampire show or something. But <laughs> vampire Diaries, maybe? That, that really narrows yeah. it down these days. <laughs> yeah, right. Some vampire show. I don't know. So, it's like there's so, like 17 of I them know. on the air right now. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
Um, so yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really good stuff. So link to her website on our website. Marie is her name. I'm, uh, I'm surprised you haven't made TuneCore your pick of the week before. I, I, I haven't used TuneCore yet. Um, but I, I, you know, it's something I, I've definitely liked. I've been circling that world for a long time, the yeah. kind of indie musician world for a long time. And I haven't quite grown the balls to jump in myself, but, um, TuneCore is really cool. You essentially you pay a flat fee to them per single or per album or per EP or whatever it is. And then they put your music on all these different stores online and then you collect all the royalties. There's no record label involved. There's none of that stuff. So it's really, uh, it's like amazing for independent musicians. It's like, it's, it's completely changed the landscape of, of yeah, the music that's industry. Crazy. That's completely brave new world. Anybody, that's anybody crazy. with garage band and a microphone now can be a published musician for like 10 bucks. You pay them, I think 10 bucks per song. If it's a single, it's like 10 bucks. And if it's an album, it's like 40 or something, but it's like, yeah, like you can that's be on crazy. iTunes. It's insane. Yeah. They, they, whoever started that company, that was brilliant. Matt's yeah, so smart. And, and they offer, they offer mastering, um, <clears throat> solutions as well, as well as mixing. Like they have, they, they offer other things. So it's not just the distribution arm. So it's very cool. And because immediately when I heard of this, I was like, great, there's going to be a lot of like home produced crap out there on <laughs> iTunes now. But I think most of these musicians are really, they have a real ear for, uh, what's, what's worthy of being published like that, you know? Nice. Yeah. So it's good stuff. So perhaps that will be my pick of the week someday soon. <laughs> You're uh, distributed. Yeah. By when Trevor, by when? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, and we have a listener pick of the week from Sarah Beth Goer. We uh, got several listener picks yeah, of the week. She, she, she sent, sent in a few and then we got multiple emails with like a few picks in them. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. We've gotten a, a few people sending a few picks uh, all at once, which is really cool. And her pick was uh, a, a book called think outside the box office by a guy named John Reese. And it, it's essentially a handbook, I think, for for producing your own film and marketing your own film and distributing your own film and, and all the different ways that you can kind of, surprise, surprise, do it yourself. <laughs> Something that we seem to be a fan It's of. like all indie all the time this episode yeah. <laughs> between web series, TuneCore, and now a thing outside the box office. Yeah. It's Love funny it. because the podcast is very DIY too, so... <laughs> So, oh, yeah. You say that like we're sitting on your couch in our pajamas recording on your computer. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so that book looks awesome. And uh, Sarah, thank you for sending that in. Um, I also had the opportunity to meet and participate in a reading with Sarah. And it was yeah. really wonderful. Yeah, I and had you coffee had with her yeah. a, few, a few months before that. Yeah, awesome. So, yeah. Very cool. So thank you nice for that, Sarah. Link to that on our website as well. Yes. And I guess awesome. that does it. Yeah. For episode 121. Let's wrap the, the palindrome episode. Let's wrap, <laughs> let's wrap it up. So, uh, lots of ways that you guys, lots of ways that you guys can be in touch with us. Uh, if you feel so moved to, feel free to head over to our website, insideactingpodcast.com. Leave a comment on one of the episode posts or shoot us an email, insideactingpodcast at gmail.com or, and or, Leave us a voicemail. Two one three two actors. That's two one three two 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 eight six seven seven. I still think it's so cool that we got <laughs> two actors. Is <laughs> <laughs> our is <laughs> our uh, voicemail? Yes. Yeah. And uh, and it, it's uh, 
was I going to say? Oh, it's been it's been a little uh, been a little crickety over there. A little, a little quiet. crickety. Yeah, it has our, been a little our quiet. E- our ears are lonely. Yeah. So uh, we've gotten the voice. Yeah, we were saying earlier we've gotten a lot of warm fuzzy stuff, which is fantastic, and we never ever ever want to stop getting that kind of thing. But um, you know, it'd be weird to display a bunch of like you guys are great voicemails <laughs> on the podcast. Yeah. So um, questions but, are helpful. Yeah, but God, we do love those. Thank you so much. And it's so wonderful to hear that this little thing does make a difference um yeah twitter facebook uh activated and itunes you want to leave us uh, a review uh we of course always appreciate your financial support which um is keeping the podcast going so you can go to our website and on the right hand side there's a little bo- donate button you can click uh one lump sum or um become a patron of the podcast where you can donate x amount of dollars per month and you get your mug and a little bio of yourself on our patron page mm. and inside acting podcast Absolutely. You know what would be cool, I was thinking as you were saying that, is if we actually had a featured patron each episode where we just give them a little time to talking about them. Aww. I think it could be kind of cool. Give them the warm what do you guys? Fuzzies. What do you guys think? Give them the warm let us, let us right know if you, if you dig that, that idea. I, I know I definitely, you know, they keep the, like as I always say, they keep the wheels in this thing going around. And I want to give them as much kind of, you know, uh, publicity, I guess, for that as possible. If they want it. I don't know. So let us know if you guys dig that um, or not. Maybe we'll just do it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> because we have a microphone. That's right. So for episode 121, then I guess that does it, yeah? Yeah, man. All right. So for our um, technical producer, Cesar Camino, for our production coordinator, Jen Levin, also both, both of, of whom. whom yes. Wow. Jinx. <laughs> Give me a Coke. Uh, who, have, who have gotten a lot of um, love as well in our recent warm, fuzzy emails and voicemails. So um, they're doing a lot of the heavy lifting behind the scenes on this thing. So definitely get to give them their due credit. So thank you guys for doing that. Um, and for our listeners for listening and for myself for co-hosting, uh, I'm Trevor Elgott. <laughs> I'm AJ Meyer. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, don't have any accidents in our stew. This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by VO2Gogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2Gogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2Gogo.com slash start.